Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. As my second load is the ring, the count guard is a Murray Grace here. He's weighing in at 490 kilos and he's got a good bit of line because he doesn't need general rate. Come on, a bit of money for him. 450, 540, 540, 540, 530, 530, 532, 532, 22, 523 better, 523 better, 324, 524 in front, you're out now. 524, you're out high. 525 better, 525, Lysel. Hold on. We can get 525. Done. 525. Hi, everyone. It's Annika. And yes, I promise you are listening Today's episode is all about supporting professional voice users, specifically auctioneers with their voice, clarity and presentation. It has been such a fun episode to put together. Not only did the Australian Livestock and Property Agents Association allow us full access to their auctioneer school, but the two speech pathologists involved, Eliza Galvin and Louise Philpot, have been incredibly generous in giving us a sneak peek into their work in real time. You'll get to meet Eliza and Lou later in the episode. They've been doing this work for over 20 years now, which is quite amazing. Before that, allow me to introduce you to a few people I was really pleased to chat to. Peter Baldwin is the CEO of ALPA and it was wonderful hearing him highlight the importance of speech pathology to their auctioneer training. So thank you so much firstly Peter for giving up a few minutes we really really appreciate it but I'm really interested to know how um, ALPA or why ALPA decided to get speech pathology involved in their training way back when. Uh, because auctioneering is, um, is very very much about diction clarity and it's about the ability to breathe. And uh, pronunciation is everything. And uh, you can be, uh, we wanted to uh, start with our youth and move the youth up and basically get them understanding the, the finer points of auctioneering at a younger age so they don't multiply the badness. They actually try and sort of uh, punctuate the goodness. And uh, so we, we felt that because auctioneering is very, very much about not necessarily the speed of the delivery, but it's your ability to be able to maintain that voice and maintain that delivery for a long period of time. It could be an entire day. It could be a thousand lots. And, and also the fact there are so many other climatic factors in a sale, which is the wind, um, which is the noise, bellowing calves, uh, people screaming at you. It's very, very high pressure. And so there's a lot of things going on in the brain. And so we, we, we try to encourage through better speech, better breathing, um, clarity, uh, that ability to be able to um, put some value in the words that we say. And what sort of feedback do you get, Peter, from your auctioneers in training? Do some, are some of them surprised that speech pathology is involved in the training or is it just sort of expected Very. now? Very, because I think they expect it, it's going to be like a sale-out situation where you go to have senior auctioneers um, or branch managers or, or employers 
are the only people, because they're auctioneers, so they're the only people that will know how to conduct the auction of livestock, bloodstock, studstock, whatever it's going to, or property. So, so when they say speech pathologist, well, why, why do we need a speech pathologist? Why do we need, elocu- why do we need elocution? And yeah. then suddenly they get it because, yeah. because they're bringing skills to the table that, that we don't have because they're bringing professional uh, specific skills that, that, are, that are so um, so integral to what we do. Liz Somerville is the Southern Regional Manager at ELPA. It was great to touch base with her at the very start of a new two-day training school. So, Liz, I think it's the start of two very busy days for you. Yeah, we're very excited to hold our um, our annual selection school uh, in Victoria um, at the Inglis Complex, which is the most amazing complex. Um, so we're, we're very proud to be here. We've got 20 participants um, all up, um, some seasoned campaigners and a couple of new people. So um, all everybody is, is very, um, very, uh, uh, very much looking forward to a really good couple of uh, learning experience days. Awesome. Can you tell me a little bit, Liz, about what the school actually involves? What happens over the two days? Yeah, over the two days, we have um, a number of different sessions. And we firstly start off with our speech pathologists who actually get the guys uh, and ladies, we actually do have a couple of ladies today as well, to um, really think about, you know, their voices and get them to breathe and get them to really understand that, you know, the, the voice is actually their toolbox. They really need to look after it and they need to be able to understand how to use their voice. So the, the speech pathologist, Lou and Eliza, um, have been with us for over 20 years and doing these schools for over 20 years. So we're very pleased to be able to have them come and, and show their expertise. So we start off with um, with the speech pathology and then we start getting into the selling. We break up into groups and the guys start doing clearing sales. Well, people that don't understand what a clearing sale is, they could be selling anything from a box of, box of bolts. They could be selling a, um, um, a tractor. They could be selling, you know, some fence posts, things like that. So basically, you know, goods and chattels. And that really gets them to start, you know, looking at, at their numbers and understanding what they're selling and just basically getting getting their patter uh, before we then move into starting to sell livestock for sheep and cattle. Mm. So having Eliza and Lou for 20 years, that's a huge mm. commitment. And you guys obviously see a benefit for speech pathology to be involved in your school. What, what are the benefits to your members of having speech pathology so entrenched in your training courses? Oh, I think I think um, what I said before is, is the voice is basically a stock agent's. It's one of the tools of trade that they use. Now, not all stock agents sell but it is another tool that they can use to then better, um, better them, better themselves. I guess in you know having another another um, you know uh, string to their bow. I guess, um, but you know making sure that you look after your voice and, and actually knowing how to use your voice. That's the most probably important part of auctioneering. Mm. Obviously, knowing your values of your livestock is is probably the key thing. But understanding how your voice works and making that work for you because you could be selling, you know. For a couple of hours in mm. in trying conditions it could be cold it could be hot it could be dusty and you know how to look after your voice and protect your voice that's really really important mm, it's there i guess without a voice you can't do that job effectively uh, can no, you no 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 you certainly can't and you know you really if you're up selling um in a noisy environment you need to make sure that your voice is heard you know the buyers are basically listening to you and you're selling to your buyers on behalf of your clients So you really need to know how to use your voice and get the best out of your voice. And that's where we see an absolute benefit from Lou and Eliza coming along to instruct the um, the participants of our schools. Um, And we run these schools in different states all across Australia. So we're 
we're very lucky that our members, you know, um, come and come and take on these education um, courses that we do, and it really then in turn um, benefits our members and therefore uh, the members' um, clients um, who are selling livestock um, as a part of their business. Morgan Davies is a trainer at the school and a current auctioneer himself. It was interesting to hear about the history of auctioneering as well as his own personal experience. So 20 or 30 years ago, mm. as I said, every agent had a, there was a town and there was cattle sales and sheep sales. Uh, the, the standard auctioneer was a guy with a big voice, a big, deep voice. Mm-hmm. Back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, there was a lot stock agents, the quintessential stock agent was a heavy drinking, heavy smoking, um, rough about uh, agent. And the last thing they did was take care of their voice. And a lot of them lost their voices. Therefore, you know, their major role as being a head auctioneer. Um, So I think caring for your voice has become paramount in our industry. Um, We also use microphones these days and they, that, has revolutionised um, auctioneering. Mm. And so, so, do you do you auctioneer yourself, Morgan? Yeah. Or yeah. So, tell yep. me a bit about your voice. What do you notice happens with your voice? So, I, I was a strange one. I actually had. Um, I'm from a farming. I'm, I'm a farming back background, and I came into agency straight out of school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never interested in really selling where one of my best mates who's one of the trainers here as well that's all he ever wanted to do I all I wanted to do was uh, you know run run the business and be in the business but not have to worry about being an auctioneer all that much I had chronic tonsillitis as a kid and my siblings got their tonsils taken out for some reason I didn't and um, up until I was about 20 I could only sell maybe one one pen of cattle and I'd break down mm. and have to pass over the job. So everyone basically had me penciled that I was never going to be an auctioneer. Then I got a girlfriend and she realised how much I snored and she made me go get my tonsils taken out. And I went from never selling anything or doing anything because I didn't want to and it hurt to consistently selling and actually having a, yeah, a, a really good career doing what I do. And, um, you know, now I'm lucky enough to work at a big market center where I run it and, yeah, get to uh, sell every day and it's something that I love. So um, my voice has completely changed and I've never had an issue with it ever since um, with that. And the basic coping mechanisms from the speech pathologist helped me grow and develop my voice uh, so quickly that, yeah, now... It's probably one of my biggest assets is my voice. Mm. So what kind of tips do you have in your head then before voice tips do you have in your head before you have a day of selling that you just Ah. kind of refresh yourself with so that you have a good voice day? A good warm-up, sing to the radio, um, hum, talk, don't don't yell and scream and know my limitations on where I can uh, direct my voice. Pushing from the diaphragm is something that a lot of young auctioneers just don't do. Uh, speech pathologies, um, the science behind it, and I don't think it's uh, probably as uh, I, I don't think we've realised how integral it is to what we do. And voice care is um, becoming more and more 
um, relevant to our enterprise. And it's nearly the go-to, it is the go-to for all our schools across Australia uh, to care for your voice in the best ways possible. So minimise your habits, smoking, drinking, and a lot of, like we all, and that's it, we're out in the bush, you'll have a few beers and stuff like that. It's pretty hard to tough out a day. It was wonderful to also have the opportunity to chat to two participants of the school, James Gadd, who you heard in action at the top of the episode, and Declan Haynes. I would just love to know why um, you chose to be an auctioneer and what's great about it. Okay, yeah, um, probably one of the main reasons I chose to be an auctioneer is just the fact that you can have a client's livestock and you can follow it from sort of day dot to literally the fall of the hammer. So. Um, it puts a bit of responsibility on your shoulders, but it, it's good to follow that sale the whole way through and, um, you know, put a bit of onus back on yourself to try and deliver the best result for them at the end of the day. Um, I think it's just also a good skill to good skill to have. It gets you up there, gets you noticed. You get to build a bit more of a relationship with the buyers and whatnot. So, yeah, there's plenty of positives to it. So, What about you, Declan? Absolutely. Well, basically everything James just mentioned, and it's also one of those things where obviously a nationwide company, but um, people need time off. And if everyone's an auctioneer and gets up and have a go, then we're covered everywhere. So we can be wherever we are, whatever time of the year, we can be putting our most professional foot forward. And if everyone's trained and doing it right, then we can pretty much guarantee we've got um, we've got one of the best auctioneering outlooks in probably one of the most important aspects um, in terms of selling and sales centres. So. And tell me then a little bit about what happens to your voice when you have a really big day of selling? Um, yeah, so your voice can go a bit hoarse or a bit croaky and it can depend on a lot of things and it depends if you're using your voice correctly or the conditions you're working in. Like we're often working in big dusty yards the night before or a couple of days before a big sale and, yeah, you're breathing in a lot of dust, you're probably not drinking enough water and uh, working pretty hard and, yeah, that can contribute a lot to uh, losing your voice or going a bit horsey or straining a little bit. So that probably comes down to, again, having enough good auctioneers around you to sort of you have people to back you up and rely on and lean on and, yeah, get the job done at the end of the day. Anything else, Absolutely. And, mm. and and once you sort of you have been selling for a while and these schools have been great for it and you get um, start using your voice correctly, as James said, then you, you really are getting the best out of yourself um, all the way through selling because obviously we're not getting up and selling sort of one model livestock, you're selling a run of them. So if you're using it correctly, then you start getting towards the end of it, you're getting tired and sore in the, sore in the throat and you sort of start to really, really lose your quality of what you're doing. So mm. so I understand you have both been to multiple of these um, schools. Is that right? So you would have gone through speech pathology training a couple of times now? Yeah. Yep. So what would be the main things that you've taken away from that speech pathology training that is now kind of entrenched in your thinking when it comes to using your voice for your work? I'd, I'd definitely have to say sort of your breathing. They focus on that quite heavily and you, you're going at a pretty fast pace and spitting out a lot of words at one time. So it's quite, quite crucial to make sure you have enough sort of oxygen on board to get the job done at the end of the day. And then um, just the clarity in your voice, because obviously we're talking in money and people's income. So to get the clarity and price right at the end of the day is pretty crucial as well. Is there anything that you guys have personally identified about your voice that might be different from other people that that do the same job, but something about your voice that you really have identified as something that you need to work on or keep in mind all the time? Well, I've definitely identified I can, I sort of have a naturally deep voice and I can get very monotone. 
Um, and Eliza has been working with me just the last couple of schools have been to one pitch and just a bit of variation, everything like that. So it's not just flat all the way through. So that's been something I've been looking at very seriously. Mm-hmm. What about yeah. you, James? Um, well, probably one thing that Eliza picked up on the last school that I attended when I was auctioneering, instead of saying 80, I was saying 80, which I'd never picked up on myself just because, you know, you listen to yourself and it just sort of sounds a little bit normal, but having that, you know, second view or someone else having a look over it, yeah, it makes a, makes a big difference picking up those small things that, yeah. Is there anything quirky that you find helpful that you do perhaps before or while you sell? Any number of the warm-up routines really um, <laughs> that they've provided with us, they're all sort of, even to explain them, someone who hasn't probably listened to Eliza and Lou talk is just doesn't make a lot of sense, but several of the things they have done, um, the pen exercise and just things on posture and yeah. all sorts of breathing and just standing there and giggling to yourself to get your voice in the right sort of spot. It's any all those sort of warm-up routines, you can see the, the value of them when you're selling, but, yeah, they'd, um, I'd imagine you look strange. They've definitely come across quirky. And lastly, what would you say, I'm, I'm assuming that perhaps very new people to auction auctioneer school might maybe be surprised that speech pathology is part of the training. What would you say to, to those people that are really new to the field that maybe perhaps hadn't even considered speech pathology as being something that might help them? I think, don't, sorry. I think they'll be very surprised, very, very surprised. You don't realise how much it does actually impact on your selling and your selling ability and, yeah, all the, all the bits and pieces that go with it. Yeah. 100%. And just it, don't understand the amount of longevity and everything you can get out of your voice. And it, don't, it doesn't even stop at the selling it comes with being able to communicate clearly with your clients or people at the other end of the phone or having a conversation with someone. Just, yeah, they pick up on small things that you don't hear yourself in your everyday speech and it makes a big difference. I'm so grateful to Elpa for those interviews. So who are the wonderful speech pathologists that have made such a worthwhile contribution to these auctioneer schools? Eliza Galvin and Louise Philpot are two senior speech pathologists with over 25 years of clinical experience. Whilst they both work in other clinical areas also, their involvement with Elpa has extended over 20 years. Hello, Eliza. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Annika. Thanks for having us. And hi, Lou. Hi, Annika. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you to both of you, actually, for stepping outside of the training room to join me. I really appreciate it. And um, in researching your work, actually, I came across an article describing you both as auctioneer whisperers, which I think is a kind of cool a cool label for you both. Uh, and it was also so lovely just hearing your Elpa colleagues speaking so highly of your work. They obviously really, really value what you do. Um, Eliza, I'm wondering if I could ask you how you initially came to be involved in this work so many years ago now. Yeah, it was a while ago. Um, so it was about in 1998, I was quite a new grad. And um, I was working at Tamworth Base Hospital. There was an auctioneer school that was being organised in Scone, which is reasonably close to Tamworth. Um, And the outgoing speech, Alpa had been using speech pathologists for quite a while um, in their training, a couple of years prior to me joining. And the speech pathologist who'd been with them was moving to Tasmania. So they were in search for somebody else to join in. And I just happened to be the local speechy there at the time. Um, But having a passion for voice through my training, through uni, I really jumped at the opportunity. So um, I was asked to join that auctioneer school in Scone where I worked alongside the outgoing speechy. Um, And then it's just snowballed from there. 
that was back when it was New South Wales. Oh, what was it called back then? New South Wales Stock and Station, Stock and Station Agents. Agents Association. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was primarily just in New South Wales at that stage um, that I was working, and it's just sort of built and grown from that point to where now it's a it's a um, used nationally. Our um, training is incorporated into um, the Alpa schools across Australia. Mm. And Lou, how did you get involved? Um, shortly after Eliza got involved uh, I guess the number of schools and the size of the schools was in- increasing um, and to the point that they sometimes needed more than one speech pathologist at a school and I was also work- working regionally in New South Wales at the time and when there was an opening I it was just seemed like a natural progression for me to come on board I'd also had a strong interest in voice during my university years and so um, yeah I joined in on a school mm, that, that Eliza was participating in and it took off from there. Now, the fact both of you have been involved for so long is telling me that you absolutely love this work and you love the role that you have within the schools. Eliza, what do you love about it? Oh, look, I think it's a very different population to work with than our usual work population. It's also tapping into the preventative work rather than um, treatment of um, you know, conditions and, and illnesses and where I was um, at in the rehab unit, it was a far cry from, from working with the aged population. Um, it's also, it's something that we've been able to tie in with our usual work as well. So it's, they, the auctioneer schools um, come and go throughout the year. There's certainly a busy period, but it's something that we've both been able to just tie into our, into our family life. And um, yeah, so it's been, they're just, they're just different. It's just a nice, uh, couple of days away meeting lots of really nice people and and getting to know them well because they often return to um, training schools over a period of time so we get to know some of the young auctioneers really quite well they certainly seem like a very down-to-earth group in my conversations with them that were on earlier so they seem like a great group to work with they really what a- are what about you Lou what do you absolutely love about the role Um, I really enjoy the preventative nature as well. We spend a lot of the time during these schools working outdoors, so it's really nice to work in the fresh air and um, I guess live in action with the auctioneers. They're on their site of where they will actually be selling often or at least a similar setup. So to be working with them um, at a venue that really replicates what their workplace would be is is, um, of value to us, makes it really realistic and make, makes us able, I guess, to point out ways that they might practice and implement things they're working on. Um, I enjoy the motivation of the participants. So often uh, they're there because they really want to improve their skills. So they're keen to take on feedback and listen to what we have to say. And then there's another element where they have a, a auctioneers competition a state and national auctioneers competition young auctioneers competition so when they're um, planning to participate in that they're particularly interested in how to polish their skills so the motivation of the people we work with is really rewarding Mm, absolutely so if we can think a little bit more about the auctioneers Eliza can you tell us a little bit about how they tend to use their voice in auctioneering before you come and provide them with some support what do you notice I think generally there's um there's an uh, they come in with this idea that they need to speak fast um and they may have um had a role model who they've looked up to and um modeled themselves on 
uh, and, and then they, they work really hard to try and be that person. So they come in with um, having attempted to speak fast before they have the motor planning capacity to be able to do that. Um, so we see, we see as far as clarity goes, um, there are a lot of issues with, you know, slurring the words together and, and them not really being uh, clear enough to be able to be understood. Um, but also as far as their voice goes, they're often shouting um, using a higher pitch voice than they would normally speak in, using a voice that's different to the way they speak, even though they might have quite a strong speaking voice. Um, and, and often they've practiced a fair bit, even the beginners have practiced a fair bit prior to coming into one of these training courses. Sometimes we're undoing some, um, some pretty um, strong patterns that they've already established. Uh, yeah, so it's sort of, it varies. It, and it also varies state to state because in Queensland, they sell a lot faster than they do in Victoria. So it's like the further south you come, the slower the auctioneering is. Mm, how um, interesting. It is, it is interesting. <laughs> um, it, it, there, is, there are definitely differences in the styles, but in saying that, those who train in Queensland tend to try and be faster too soon. Um, and those who train in Victoria, it, it's okay to be slower. So they establish more clarity prior to the, their build-up of speed. Mm. And Lou, what about gender differences? I'm aware that there are female and male auctioneers that you're working with. Before you jump in and help, is there anything you notice about the voices of male versus female auctioneers? Male voices naturally are louder, I guess, so it can be easier for them to project. Um so that said, though, as Eliza said, sometimes they can be loud and sort of what an issue that we find is that they might tend to stay loud when they don't always need to be that loud. Female voices, they tend to have to work harder to get that projection. Um, so we're really working on their abdominal um, breathing style and helping them to get their voice out there because often when they do support it well, they find that they actually do have quite a loud voice. Mm. And I know that there is an absolute truckload of strategies that you do commonly suggest to this group. Eliza, could you run us through some of the strategies that you are teaching them to use? We work with a system um, that is very consistent throughout all of the schools. Um, and basically we work from the feet up. So we work on posture to start with um, and establishing good grounding and a good base for the, to be able to project voice. And then we work on breathing. We do quite a significant amount of work on breathing. And then we move up into the voice and we, we work a little bit on um, voice projection and then um, moving into clarity. So, so as far as the body goes, we sort of move up from the bottom up to the top and, and we have some, some phrases that we use to remind them of those four um, parts of their system that they practice. Um, we then incorporate a lot of different exercises into each of those areas um, the, the two-day schools are really predominantly about identifying what in particular it is that each auctioneer needs to work on um, and then they go away with some exercises that can fit into that system that will work for them to be able to practice until the next time they come and see us or just to improve what, where they're at at that particular time Mm. Um, so it, it does, it's, we simplify voice, um, 
because we haven't got a long time with them. We've got two days with them. So over the years of Lou and I working with these auctioneers, we've really sort of come up with a system that is as simple as possible um, and gets to the outcome as quickly as possible. We, we spend about an hour and a half on a workshop initially with everybody. And then we have the day of um, selling um, where we give them feedback online as they're selling and they also get to watch some video feedback, which we may or may not be a part of. And then on the second day or in the afternoon of the first one day, depending on the size of the workshop, we um, will incorporate some voice preservation work. So, um, and, and that's valuable on day two because they've used their voices a lot on the first day. And then coincidentally, they all go out for a bit of a drink that night so they come back <laughs> feeling a little bit washed out and worse for wear and that's when we we can legitimately talk to them about how to look after their voice mm, some of their environmental choices <laughs> yes, that might impact exactly, it exactly. I'd so love to know what those four catchphrases are Eliza what are the sort of catchphrases that you teach them to help them remember those four systems is it okay to share that yeah absolutely um, so the first one with posture the word is pen and I know that sounds a little bit strange, but when you're working with a group of young men, you have to be a little bit creative. Um, so the, the reason behind that is that we ask them to take a pen, not a real pen, and put it between their butt cheeks, long ways, not crossways, um, and hold on to it so that they engage their core muscles and then we get them to drop their pen. So they're relaxed and drop their pens and then they are encouraged to hold their pens again. I guess we could do it with a $100 note instead. Some people use that, but we find the pen seems to work. No one has $100 notes in their purse anymore. <laughs> all have a pen in their pocket. And exactly. I can tell you, when we say pick up your pen, the, the, the first time is they actually go to get a pen out of their pocket and we're like, no, 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 not a real pen. <laughs> so they, uh, that, that's the, so, so when we say pick up your pen as we're training them, they know that they've just got to engage their core muscles. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, we have a little bit of a chat about how that impacts them. They can feel the difference in their posture after they've engaged their core muscles. Um, and then for breathing, the, the word we use is um, out, breathe out. Um, and that's simply because we focus on the breath out rather than the breath in uh, when we're doing the training. So as they are breathing out, they're engaging their muscles that they would use to project their voice. Um, and so they're exercising those at the same time. And then it, it is a, a really simple way of establishing thoracoabdominal breathing. So that when they relax, their body just breathes into the deepest part. And again, they can feel that. Um, and then they can feel the difference when we ask them to just take a big breath in, they'll breathe into their, into their chest and their shoulders move and we sort of compare them both. And so hence the word out for, um, for the breath. Um, with voice and projection, the words are low and relaxed. Um, so we're just teaching them to lower their larynx into a more relaxed, comfortable position. Um, and then clarity is just open the mouth. Um, so there's lots of different things we could talk to them with clarity, but when we're trying to simplify things and, and find something that works for a very large group of people quickly, um, opening the mouth has a best impact and it's the easiest for them to be able to achieve clarity quickly. Mm. So Lou, do you find that the auctioneers find these strategies easy to pick up or is it something that's quite challenging for them to apply? Uh, 
it is quite challenging, um, that, which is why we've we've really um, fine-tuned it down to some keywords like that to prompt them. We're encouraging some things such as self-reflection, thinking, taking on the feedback, but also having a think about how their voice is responding and how they might, which areas they might need to focus on. Um, trying to fix everything at once is definitely too difficult. So we do encourage them to just have one or two things at a time. It might be for a couple of hours during a school, or it might be that that goes on for another few weeks afterwards. Um, so limiting the amount that they're trying to work on at a time makes it easier for them to refine the skills and develop the strategies. Um, when we're during during these schools, we're often will be they're divided up into groups, and one each one of each of us will be with a particular group at any one time, and so we'll be able to give them um, some feedback on the spot, and often just those prompt words Eliza just mentioned. So you know, breathe out, or don't forget your pen, or low and relax. So you just shout out the key words, and they're so used to them. We will really. Um, use them often, I guess, during our workshops we run in the morning and then we've got them uh, firmly planted in their minds so that they know how to respond to that feedback. So it is difficult, but if we simplify it and limit mm. how much they're thinking about it at a time, it tends to help. Thank you so much to both of you for letting us record you actually training the auctioneers with some of these strategies. And we're just going to have a listen now to you guys in action. So this goes from bottom up, right? Remember that? So starting at your feet, we work on posture. We'll work, get through the, the words underneath we'll come to a little bit later. Moving up in our body, we've got breathing. Okay, so the diaphragm and the, and the rib cage and the lungs for breathing. And then the next one is the voice. So we're moving up into our larynx where the voice comes from. And the last one is clarity, which happens in your mouth. Okay, so moving up with the four things. If you can practice each of these in a warm up, making sure you focus on each of those four things, which is very, very simple, then you're doing yourself a favour. That's okay. All right, and the counting one, so let's just do fives to 100. Relax and breathe in. Five, 10, 15, to Start to think about getting those breaths in before you run out of air. So 100 was just pushing it. But if you find yourself running out, do stop, take a breath, so that you're allowing the vocal cords to take that in in a nice gentle manner, not in a gaspy fashion. I didn't hear too much gasping yesterday. So no, really Don't start when you're starting to run out of air. I can feel it. It's like, right, I've got to stop. Because that's when you know... These muscles are too far away to be doing anything and you're just using all you can to get the last little bit out. We don't want that to happen because that causes strain. And remember from yesterday what we were saying that you will feel the strain in your throat before you hear any voice changes. And it's really important to have that concept of what it feels like or recognising when you're feeling something in your throat before it gets too much. Have done any damage. Being pushed, yeah. Um, okay. Let's do an ah. So just starting to get the pitch in there. <coughs> Sorry. So breathing out. And relax, breathe in. Ah. Let's do what? No, let's do the 60s. You guys are pretty good. 
Victorians are pretty good with their articulation. But let's do 60s. So 60, 61, 62, making it nice and clear, thinking about the clarity, opening, opening your mouth up, making it nice and clear. Um, in your warm-up, you don't need to be pushing volume for the moment. These are just all the little exercises you can throw in there. Just develop your own routine. You don't need to do it for you know, 30 minutes. It can just be a quick little two or three minutes to get you going. And just pull in bits that you think are useful for you. We'll go around in a minute and ask which one thing you think is most important for you to focus on, which will be important to have included in your warm-ups. So 60. We'll go 60 up to 80, just in ones. So, posture, breathe out, relax and breathe in. <coughs> 60, Who has experienced some voice changes since their last course or at all for those who haven't done a course before you have <coughs> share oh just when selling yeah, or just, or, <coughs> i reckon i reckon the voice would be but yeah okay so it's changed yeah yeah interesting how old are you 21 yep and when was your last one yeah, mm. yeah. so the voice keeps changing and growing until usually up to 26 but I feel like even beyond that it grows and develops so so men's voices continue to mature interesting comment anyone else had voice loss had a cold had COVID a cold <laughs> yeah I lose my voice a lot you lose your voice a lot mm. and do you think yet there is there anything <laughs> that you can relate that to like what happens to cause that or you're not sure the dust in the right, okay. Mm. Yeah, that's an important one to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. See if we can help you with that one. Anyone else? You often lose your voice too. Often lose your voice in relation to selling? Uh, yeah, just a combination of things. Like yeah. it's a big day and then selling. Yeah. All right. Like the next day, very rarely. I've not lost my voice. Okay. Right. Oh man, it's just I've lost my dogs out the bush and I'm calling for them all weekend and then, yeah. go, and then I go up and sell on a Monday and sort of just from doing that all weekend and then sell Yeah, on precisely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the impact that what you do with your voice outside of your work mm, has an impact on your work. Eliza, it seems like thoracoabdominal breathing is a really key strategy that you're working with with the auctioneers. I'm really wondering if you could describe in a little bit more detail um, how you go about teaching that strategy. It is one of the key strategies that we teach and it is also one of the key concepts that an auctioneer will come to one of the schools with that they understand that they have to work on their breathing but not, don't really have a concept of how to do that. Um, they'll often come saying they know they've got to breathe from the gut because that's what their um, mentors have told them. Um, so we sort of, we, we established the pattern of breathing where the, the focus is on, I shouldn't say the focus is on, we actually take the focus off the breathing because they've got so many things they need to think about while they're selling. So they have to think about who's actually buying, um, what stock they're actually selling, the market values, so many different things without having to think about their breathing and their voice projection and, um, and all the other things that we sort of add on top. So with the breathing, we talk about breathing out as a way of um, letting all the air out of their lungs 
and then relaxing and letting their body breathe in naturally. Um, usually, and we do go through this a fair bit with them and, and work on them. We, we watch them all very carefully and make sure that they have got the coordination for that. Then the, the aim is to teach them how to top up their breathing um, because they, when they are in their patter and they're taking beards, they actually don't have control over when they can breathe because that relates entirely to um, a bid that will be coming in. And they can't control when the buyers are actually giving them the bids. So they're not sure, they don't ever know exactly how long they're going to have to have a run on in their patter. So we teach them to top up their breath um, using, using that method. So the, the breath out, relax and breathe in, and then we'll teach them to count to different numbers and then just relaxing and letting their bodies breathe in. So if they train that carefully and, and um, specifically, then they can learn to breathe in quite quickly um, and in the short spaces of time, but also be conscious of topping up so that they're ready for a long run of their patter if that's what's next to follow. It doesn't sound easy to, to pick up, to be honest, but obviously they do through your support, which is great. Yeah, I we, think they, sorry, Lou. It's all right. I was just going to say we really try to isolate in some during some parts to isolate the breathing so that they really get a feel for what that is through various exercises, but then to build that up and to incorporate it with the phonation, the voicing, um, and then and then the words that they're saying when they're selling and then the actual um, the wholesale, I guess, ultimately, but it's a real foundation we consider in terms of building their projection and ability to sell effectively. Mm. Um, so Lou, are there any strategies that you teach the auctioneers in regards to presentation? It seems like quite a performative job that they do. Is there anything that you do to support them with that aspect of their job? The, the auctioneer's presentation is certainly important because they're representing their, the company they work for or their vendor when they're up there selling and it's um, important for them to look professional, to, to gain respect, to be respectful of others. So we certainly um, develop that, the posture element, I guess, that Eliza's spoken about earlier and talk about body language, the way that they're making eye contact, the way that they're looking for engagement with buyers, um, their use of facial expression, how they might enhance their sale through their use of body language. We certainly see those things as really important because the relationship that they have with the people they're buying, they're selling to and that they're selling on behalf of is really important. Um, so we certainly value that aspect and try to teach that um, during the in, within the capacity of the two days we've got. Mm, you two are busy. There's a lot that you focus on beyond <laughs> more than what you would think on the surface. <laughs> When we talk about the posture and presentation, we talk about, we also encourage them to break their selling down into three mm. separate parts of the sale. So they have their introduction of the lot that they're selling, the patter, which is the bid taking component, which is the, the faster traditional sort of area of auctioneering. And then the knockdown, which is when they're actually just about to knock, it, knock down the sale. Um, at the actual price that they're presenting. So we talk about um, all of the aspects of voice and varying um, the voice with pitch and loudness and, and speed in relation to those three different parts of the sales. So they learn to vary what they can do with their voice in their introduction to make sure it's clear and that everybody understands what it is they're selling. 
And then the patter, it's vital that they maintain clarity and that it's varied to keep, it, keep their buyers engaged. Um, if the buyers aren't engaged or understanding where they're up to, they won't actually bid on that item, um, which will affect the market. And so it's a, it's a huge responsibility for the auctioneer to be able to maintain the energy and, and maintain the buyer's attention so that the, the whole market stays mm. buoyant. Um, and then obviously with the knockdown, that's when their voice is at their loudest and their strongest and they're about to, to knock down the sale. Everybody needs to know that they're about to knock down and then they need to be really clear about the, the actual price that it's been knocked down and who it's knocked down to. So we, there's a lot of conversations about um, varying the voice and, how, and, um, and rate and clarity in relation to those three different parts of the sale. There's a lot going on for auctioneers, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What are the common issues that the auctioneers were bringing up from me chatting, but also through me um, listening to your work? Uh, they seem to commonly bring up the dust and commonly bring up um, humidity and a whole range of sort of environmental factors. What sort of strategies do you give them for, for those things that I'm wondering how much control you you know there actually is over those factors they don't I guess they don't often have a lot of control over the environment they're going to be selling in they can't control the weather they may be in or outside the microphone that they might be used to using may not be working so there is often um, a lack of control I guess yeah over the Mm. environment we teach them first of all vocal hygiene and how to keep themselves hydrated and prepared for any sort of conditions or as many as a different variation in conditions as they can um if we know that it's going to be a hot and dry day then again hydrating themselves perhaps rotating the selling more often so not having a big huge run on your own but actually swapping you know every half an hour or 15 minutes whatever it might be with with your colleague Um, we also just raise their awareness of things like the fact that uh, air conditioning dehydrates them and the dusty environments will not be good for their voice and that uh, if they're understanding what the anatomy is behind their voice, the larynx, the vocal cords, then they'll understand that anything that they're breathing in will be passing through those. So really raising their awareness of what can impact their voice helps Mm. Um, and just preparing them as much as we can for the variety of environments. Another one is the amplification issue so some people might rely on that so we really remind them that it's not always going to be possible and they need to be able to use their voice the two different ways so with and without amplification and have Mm. draw on their projection when they're not able to use a microphone Mm. what about um is this is this a group that are traditionally smokers just out of interest and is that something that you have to deal with that's an interesting question because when I first started, um, I actually not quite when I first started, but I do have a memory of being about 36 weeks pregnant and presenting in front of a group of probably about 25 auctioneers in a pub and I had to ask them not to smoke while I was presenting. Mm. Um, majority of agents back then were smokers um, but now uh, look probably maybe two or three might own up to it there might be a little bit more casual smoking Um, vaping is something that's obviously just recently um, Mm. coming into into the into the uh, um, training process Um, 
so so yeah they're smoking smoking is something that they are certainly much more aware now the impact that it has on their voice um but i i think we're also just seeing a, a big shift in the generations mm. where the, where smoking is not as prominent a, a positive on that front is i think probably the long standing relationship we have working with alpa is we often have agents who come back and assist at these schools and have definitely taken on board the education we've provided over the years and are really good role models and encouraging them not to be smoking and um, the impact that that can have both on their voice and, and their health. So I feel like there's a strong message, there's good role models coming through, but, yeah, mm. it's it's not resolved yet. <laughs> mm. That sounds like it's moving in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. It certainly is. Other than vaping, but that's a whole new issue, isn't it? <laughs> So what's their, um, I guess, compliance with the strategies over time? And do you feel um, it sounds like some of the auctioneers do return to multiple schools over a period of time? Are refreshers needed? Mm. Um, I think the what happens when somebody comes back to an auctioneer school after a period of time or sometimes even just six months later is they've had six months of, of different experiences with their voice and with their selling um, and with their selling styles. So the auctioneers who are training, they're not just selling livestock. They might sell um, at a clearing auction or they might, um, it might be sheep or cattle. There's a large variety of variations of selling around that. So they come back with different experiences um, maybe having picked up on the things that we've worked on last time and ready to work on something else. Um, so there's always something that they can improve on. Um, and generally speaking, what initially when I first started doing these auctioneer schools, I really sort of worked out that pretty quickly that they were coming back and needing the same information and they weren't, there wasn't much of a shift. Mm. Um, now what we do is we really focus a lot on adult learning styles and the need for repetition and practice and rehearsal um, so that they can change. Obviously, they only have us for two days. Um, so apart from sending them away with more of an awareness of what their voice feels like um, and being able to make some positive changes if they're starting to feel strained, uh, we also um, find that they um, we, we're, we're sending them away with a system that they can practice and then also use the same system, the same things that they're using to practice as their warm up, so that then when they go into cell, um, their, their their muscle memory is sort of kicked in, and their and their brain's sort of triggered to be able to do what it is that they've been practicing. So since since incorporating that into the training, I've found that um, there's been a lot more carryover of of the skills that they come in with. Um, maturity has a big part of it as well. We often train quite young men 17 18 year olds um, and we see them sort of grow <laughs> and mature uh, and what they are capable of taking on at different times in yeah. their life as well is is important so yeah, yeah it's just it's it's not a simple answer to that question there's just so many factors involved mm, mm. Mm. Lou, I'm just wondering despite all the strategies and the supports that you give auctioneers what happens to their voice over time? It's they, you know, they're reusing it, their voice in a fairly extreme way. Mm. What do you notice with their voice over time or as their career progresses? As Eliza said, we start training some of them as young as 16, 17, 18, um, and their voices are well and truly still developing. So especially with the younger 
auctioneers, it's really important to educate them on their voice because they are young to be starting out as professional voice users and it's really important that they're preserving and looking after their voice. So with them, we make them aware that their voice is still developing um, and try to guide them through that, not to push it too too hard too early. Um, we do see improvements with the people that come back to multiple schools. Definitely their voices continue to develop and they learn how to use it um, with more variation. So they get better, varia- sorry, better control over their volume variation, their pitch variation, how they can use their, cell, their voice better to sell, um, to enhance what they're saying and to make themselves clearer to the buyers. So we see them really used to really learn to use their voice as an instrument and as a tool in their professional capacity as an auctioneer. And so by the end of their career, is there anything common with the voice of a person that's used their voice like that for so many years? Is their voice deeper? Are they prone to losing their voice a lot? I'm not sure. It's it's difficult to say if they're deeper because a lot of them, I mean, we get a huge variation in depth of voice, but we certainly have a lot of auctioneers who do have a, a quite a low voice anyway. So it would be difficult to say if it creates that, but they do learn how to use their voice in a more low and relaxed manner. So often I feel like the older agents that we do have or the people who have been selling for a long time, you do hear that nice deep voice quality. Um, if anything, I like to think that they, when they get their better vocal hygiene, they learn how to manage voice loss better or to prevent voice loss more effectively. Um, we often have them coming early on and saying, oh, yeah, I lose my voice all the time. Yeah, it's after the footy or a big night or um, out in the yards with the cattle. However, as they return to schools, you sort of they're able to reflect on that and then you do sort of see them learning as they go and and preventing that from happening so I I do feel like they learn how to control and look after their voices better and ultimately we haven't had any that I can think of any major issues Mm. in terms of their voice use they're all they just kind of get better and better at it really I think something else that's really important because they're meeting a speech pathologist or two um, and learning to work with us they do come back and see us if they need to. So I've had multiple phone calls from um, agents who some recently who've had COVID and five days later they need to sell at quite a large sale. And Eliza, can you just please remind me of the things that I need to do so that I can actually get there in five days? Um, so they're, they're more likely to seek help by, from a speech pathologist because they know of us. Um, we also um, give them some education about ANTs if they need to have follow-up, if they're not able to, um, you know, get some recovery over a period of time from any voice issues they might have to see their GP and to see an ENT and then to follow up with a speech pathologist. So mm-hmm. we do incorporate that um, quite strongly in what we um teach them when we're there with them but I think also just because they've built a relationship with us so yeah. um, we are approachable and they know where to go if they need help so I feel like yes perhaps there would have been there could would be some there's always likely to be some um, who who may not have the voice longevity to be able to do the extreme vocalizing that they need to do but they know how to get help when they need to which I think is probably really important. Mm. Just uh, my final question is, would you say or or are there any other professional groups that you think 
the strategies that you teach would be relevant for? Yeah, so I think I think um, it, that it definitely adapts. It, it, the voice is the voice. Posture is mm. posture. Breathing is breathing. Um, and, and you know, we're, we're we're teaching a very simple approach to being able to do it in a, using their voice in a healthy manner. So any professional voice users um, would benefit. Yeah, I agree. And it's the the ability to adapt the techniques that we're teaching to to the needs of the specific person that we're working with so it might be other professional voice users it might even just be people who use their voice a lot even not in a performance capacity um it, particularly during COVID I've had um the masks impacting people's voice mm-hmm. if you're using your voice often people have, have had some difficulties with their voice just because of the constant strain that they're under um but certainly teachers singers sports umpires coaches um Radio announcers. Radio announcers. Is, yeah, it, mm. there's a huge number, number of people yeah. think, that could benefit. Mm. Mm. I am honestly so grateful to you both for letting us step inside your clinical world just for a little taste. Um, you're really doing amazingly interesting and incredible work, and it's obviously so clearly valued by ELPA, um, which I can imagine is very rewarding too for you both. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to the Australian Livestock and Property Agents Association who so kindly agreed to make this podcast possible. And thank you as always for tuning in and supporting our podcast. Uh, Be sure to join us again next Wednesday. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found and make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.